Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church Conway. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. Thanks for listening. Psalm 139 is where we're going to be. Today is a day in which our church and many churches uh, mark or celebrate the sanctity of human life. And so that's going to be sort of the broad topic of what we are discussing this morning. I invite you into that conversation to to kind of think and, and ponder those things, to wrestle with those ideas. As you heard earlier, if you were a guest with us, we are, we're thrilled that you made it and that you're here worshiping with us after the service. I'm going to be out these doors to the right there. I have cookies, and I would love to give you one of those if you're new, of course. And, uh, and so just stop by, say hi, and I'll give you a, a, a cookie. If you're watching online, we are so thrilled that you are watching online. Thank you so much for tuning in, which, wherever you are, like YouTube, Facebook, our on our website. Make sure that you share out that link and there in the comments. Let us know where you're watching from. We love to see that. We love to see uh, uh, where the message is being heard. Like I said, Psalm 139. Earlier this week on Tuesday, my wife and I, we were, we were studying. We, we had to prepare some Bible studies. I was preparing this lesson. We went down to Little Rock, and uh, we went to uh, Milo's Coffee House. It's a, it's a pretty decent coffee house. I really like it. It's no Zateo, but it's pretty close. And so uh, we were down there, and it's on Kavanaugh. There's a tight parking, not a whole lot of parking. There was, there was a couple spots that I, I pulled into, but half of my truck was hanging out. It's like these little tiny uh, spots. So I had to find some other spots. I circled around, and I found a spot there, a parallel parking opening, all right? And so I needed to parallel parking park. And, and, and now, hear me, I pride myself on parallel parking. I'm really good at it, all right? And, and uh, it doesn't, if I'm driving your vehicle or my vehicle, vehicle I can parallel park. And, uh, and, but uh, my truck has this feature. It's, uh, it's parking assist. You can push a button and it will parallel park for you. And I've done this before in Conway and it worked like a charm. It was awesome. It was really neat. Um, totally freaked out my kids sitting in the passenger seat when I just let go of the wheel and, and my truck took off. So I thought this would be cool. Jackie hasn't seen this. I'm going to show her my really cool feature on my truck. So uh, I did what it told me to do. I pulled up and the screen says to pull up a little further. I pulled up where it told me to pull up and then it told me to uh, put it in reverse get off of the brake, and let go of the wheel. That's what it said to do. That's what I did, all right? And so I let off of the brake, and then all of a sudden, the truck whipped over to the side, backed up really fast, and straight into a tree. And so uh, it was less impressive um, that time around, you know, and, and it hit this little tiny tree. I'm just thankful it wasn't like a, a, a senior citizen or a child or something like that, because uh, the tree fared well, very well, all right? And uh, and um, so uh, I got to admit, um, if you've heard me talk at all or, or follow me on social media, I have an affection for my truck. And uh, I immediately felt ill. Uh, I felt like this was the end of the world. I was internally very upset. Um, Jackie didn't really react at all. The boys asked her later if uh, she started laughing. And um, she made this face like there was no way she was going to laugh in that moment, you know. I kind of picture her later, like walking around the corner and just laughing until she cries, right? And so um, that was a bad day. It was a bad situation. I went to go get it uh, uh, assessed. How much is this thing going to cost to fix? Because it busted the taillight. That's, that's essentially what it did. It busted uh, the, the right side taillight. And uh, 
So the guy's walking around. He's got his little clipboard and all this kind of stuff. And he walks past the taillight and he taps on it and goes, ooh, that's pricey. That's what he says. And I was like, oh yeah? And he goes, yeah. He kept doing that. And I was like, stop tapping my truck. Uh, that's getting on my nerves too, you know? And he's like, that one right there, that's pricey. I said, why is it pricey? He said, because that's the special kind. And I said, the special one? And he goes, yeah. He goes, you see that right there? It's got a sensor in it. And I said, what kind of sensor? And he said, a blind spot sensor. And I said, well, that one wasn't working. I'll tell you that much right now. That one did not alert me of nothing, all right? And so he says, yeah. He says, this little light right here, $1,100. Yeah, I know. I felt sick again. Everything in my world was over, you know, it was just bad. $1,100. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you have been sticker shocked. Have you ever gone to something that you think should be maybe a couple hundred bucks and it turns out to be $1,100 and you feel sick to your stomach? Uh, whatever it is, for whatever reason, uh, there's small, simple reasons why things can cost so much. So it can be so pricey. Maybe it's rare or it's handmade. It's a collector's item or it has a special purpose. Different things can cause the price to go up. How many of you have ever been shocked at the price of something your child or your spouse wants. Has that ever happened to you? They're asking for something and you're thinking, there's no way I'm paying that. You know, uh, maybe it's a pair of shoes that they want and it, it has a, a, a particular athlete's name on them. So all of a sudden they cost a gajillion dollars more. Maybe it's a shotgun, uh, a new hair dryer that dries so much better than the other two hair dryers. You know, uh, it's gonna work completely different at drying hair. You can tell in our house which one of us is it that's buying the hair dryer. Maybe it's a duck call or a tiny little thing of makeup cost. How much? You know, that kind of situation, a computer attachment or feature or something like that. You feel in your gut, this thing should not cost this much, you know, but it does. Why? Because like I said, it's special or it's handmade or it's unique. Or it's a collector's item or it has a particular purpose. Today I want to talk to you, talk with you about the value of a human life and what sort of price tag we would put on a human life. It turns out that the way that our stuff can cost so much is similar to the reason why humans, that a human is so valuable, that we are special, unique, a particular function and purpose. We are handmade. All of that applies to us, to humanity. Not just to you, but those, uh, but to every soul, every person, and in every place, invaluable and special. So let's pray together, and then we'll look at uh, Psalm 139. We're just going to look literally this morning at half of one verse. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for those who have gathered today and have sought to make much of you. God, I pray for our churches in our community and in our, in our country, in our county. I pray for 2nd Conway and 2nd Greenbrier that you would protect our health both spiritually and physically. That you would protect our unity. As we grow closer to you, we would grow closer to one another. And God, today, one Sunday every year, I pray that we would renew our conviction that we would align our priorities to understanding that all life, all human life is valuable, is sanctified, and is unique. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. 
So if you have your Bible, you should have been at Psalm 139. Look at verse 13. This is what it says. It says, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. This morning, all we are going to do is pay attention to this little section right here. In fact, the plan this morning is just to look at uh, each of these words, each of the important words here in the second part of verse uh, 13. The Bible says that you should meditate on the Word of God. The problem is that even for those of us who read our Bibles daily, we don't meditate on it. In fact, a lot of us are not even taught how to meditate on the Word of God. And so this morning, in practice and in reality, what we are going to do is meditate on this section of this text. The first verse, or the first word that I want you to pay attention to is you. You. It's a simple word, and it's right there, and it means exactly what you think it means, but it has special implication in this text. The you there is speaking of God, our Father, and it paints a particular picture of God and who He is. One of the reasons we struggle with valuing God's commandments and in our lives and what He says about other human life is that we do not know God. We do not know God as He is. We have this picture of Him and these expectations of who He is, but we don't really picture God and understand Him the way that He has communicated Himself to be. In verse 1 through 6 of the same chapter, David is describing the God he knows. He says, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it. All about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. What David describes as God is this close, personal, this comforting and compassionate God. If we are honest, somehow, somewhere along the lines, we paint for ourselves some picture of God. You have some image of God. If you were to take a pencil and a piece of paper and you were to draw God, or if we were to take a marker board and, and a marker and we were to write out the attributes of God, many of us would, in the end, we would paint some picture of like uh, Marlon the Magician or of our father. Oftentimes when I hear people talk about God, he is distant and he is cold. He is judgmental or that he has a standard that we cannot meet. We are constantly feeling as if we have to reach some sort of um, expectation and, and to satisfy what it is that he wants from us. David knows God, and the way he paints God out to be is close, and personal, compassionate, caring, a loving God. Have you ever noticed when a child, sometimes a very young child, if they're sitting in their mother's lap and they're trying to speak to their mother, they will grab her face and turn it towards them? Have you ever seen that happen? But that never happens with God. He is always attentive. His face is always turned toward his children. He hears you. He, he knows you. That is who our God is. He is not only close and personal, but he is a protective God and a guide. He will protect you both from the evil of others and the brokenness of our fallen creation. This is why David, the same writer of this text, writes that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is with me. 
David knows the you in this verse. And it's important, it's highly important that we see God clearly for who he is and the way that he reveals himself if we're going to understand anything else that's going to follow in this text. So what we have to begin with is a picture of God. A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. And so beginning there, we see God as close, personal, compassionate, right there, protecting, guiding. And it says, David says, you, God, that protector, have knit me. It's an interesting word, right? Woven or knit. I don't know anything personally about knitting. Any of you knit? Any of you people knit? Let me see your hand. You knit? Okay, well, how many of you have ever had anything that was knitted by somebody else? All right, there you go. Maybe your grandmother or a friend or a girlfriend or something like that. Um, I don't know a lot of guys that knit. I didn't know one um, that knits things together. There's nothing, I'm not judging that. That's fine if you want to knit things. What I know about knitting is that it is detail-oriented, that it is difficult looking. I've watched people knit, and I don't know how they're doing that. I don't know what they're doing with those things, you know. If you're knitting a scarf or your sweater, I see people take great uh, uh, effort in choosing the right yarn and the needles and the right stitch, or not stitch, but, but move, or whatever they're doing, you know. They're taking a lot of effort into this. It just seems like something to us. It's like, oh, that's, a, that's something like a piece of fabric now, but when we really think about it, there is artistry in there. There is skill. There is intention in that word. See, David doesn't say, you assembled me. David doesn't say, you just kind of threw me together. He uses a word that implies artistic intention. That God has purposefully put these things together. Knit implies design and care. It's what happens when it is done is something is made with purpose. I imagine that two people could, or one person could knit two, let's say, uh, blankets, and they'll be exactly the same, but I I'm guessing that probably not. And think about this. If somebody was to stand up and say, I will knit you a scarf, right? Josh, they're going to knit Josh a scarf. And they're going to knit a Lucy a scarf, right? They're going to knit those two things completely different, right? Because not only is there artistic intention in it, but then there's also this purpose for it. One's for me and one's for her. And so they are different and they have a purpose and a value. That's what this compassionate, caring, guiding, protecting God has done for you. You are artistically designed with a purpose and a plan in, your, in his mind. Tozer uses the word orchestrated, that God has orchestrated you like a song. There's meaning and there's message and there's purpose in this. This would combat the notion that we are pretty much the same. Right, that people are just born and they're pretty much the same. And then it, it, it depends on how you are nurtured or not nurtured. But what God would say is from the very beginning, the reality is that from the moment we are created, we are created artistically, uniquely, and with a purpose. God knits. You, God, knits me. That's a big word. For only two letters, it's a big word. I think we like to come into places like this and think about them. Maybe we're more comfortable really thinking about God. But for a second, you have to really look in the mirror and think about you, me. Here's the reality. We are strangely difficult in our culture to ascribe ourselves value. We are self-loathing. And it comes naturally. I understand why. 
Like all of marketing and, 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 uh, and sales, all of these things are designed in a way to make you feel like you have some sort of deficit or some inferiority. That if you were to just purchase that item or to have this thing or that lifestyle, then you would be more complete. And so everything in our culture, everything around us, either subconsciously or objectively, is communicating to us that we are less than we ought to be. That there is something out there that will fulfill us, that will make us whole. And so we walk around wired from the very beginning thinking that we are less than. Uh, I asked uh, Pastor David this week if when he was a child, um, did he have any, uh, uh, you know, like things that he was self-conscious about? You know, he said that when he was little, he thought that one of his eyes dried out faster than the other one, which is, I've never heard that in my life. I, as a kid, um, I was extremely self-conscious about uh, my front teeth. I've told y'all about this before. Um, she, my, I remember sitting there in the dentist. She was real pretty and she had her little dentist mask on, you know, and she kneeled down and I was upset. I was crying as my, my, my adult teeth were coming. And she says to me, she says, you will grow into them. That's what she said. She lied to me. I'm still waiting to, to grow into these massive teeth that the Lord gave me, you know. And it was just a thing, you know, I was so self-conscious about my teeth. I was so self-conscious about the shape of my eyes. I was self-conscious about the, the color of my skin. I wanted to be darker. That was, that was more attractive or it was more right. I was self-conscious, get this, I was self-conscious about my wavy hair. I had this big wavy hair, you know. And the Lord was like, you should have been thankful, you know, that kind of thing. And I was literally just self-conscious about everything in the mirror. I was, you know, and it's funny that ironically God says, I'm going to call you into something. You just stand in front of a bunch of people and let them look at you. We've all grown up in these ways that we are, we are ruthlessly self-conscious, self-loathing about ourselves, right? Every one of us look at you and see a perfectly attractive, wonderful person, but you look at you and see all sorts of flaws. We are dangerously mean to ourselves, and yet in this verse, David turns the spotlight on himself. He says, you, God, who is gracious and kind and loving, you purposefully, artistically built me together the way that I am. Not only in my appearance, but also in my disposition and my personality and my skill set. All of the things you have made me particularly in this way. Remember verse 1 through 6. I read it just a minute ago and we focused on the idea of how often David wrote, you God, you know, you searched, you are attentive, you protect, you guide. But, but notice the, the other side of each of those phrases. Listen to 1 through 6 again. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels when I'm working, when I'm going, and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways, habits, and actions. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This is wondrous knowledge. It's beyond me. It is lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Listen, I believe that many of us as believers and Christians are okay with the idea that God loves the person he created, but we just don't think he likes the person that we became. Like we, we know that God loves the person he created in the womb a long time ago. But since that time, since the factory warranty wore off and the new car smell is gone, we're not sure that God likes us anymore, right? Just looking to trade us in for somebody else. 
I know that God loves what he created. I just messed it up. But that's not what David says. When David says me, he means me right now. God loves you, who you are, exactly who you are. He loves you so much, the person that you have become. God loves you. He looks at you full in the eye, and he understands exactly who you are because he made you that way, but also because he has walked with you in this past. I saw somebody tweet, I pray that you will be freed from the you you have created to hide you from the world. Be freed from that, knowing that God loves you who you are. And he loves you so much not to leave you there. I am brokenhearted by the people who will do everything in our culture to hide the real them. Sarcasm is one of the most common ways we hide who we actually are. Our insecurities and our fears will be sarcastic. Our meanness will put other people down. Judgment or manipulation will constantly get the crowd to think a different way about other people. We believe that what God did was insufficient. But God knows exactly who you are. Not just what he made, but what has happened since that point. God, a gracious and a loving and a protector, a guider close by, artistically formed you. You, specifically, the you you are, together in my mother's womb. Now listen to this. At some level, we can devalue ourselves because of our abilities or lack of abilities. We can devalue ourselves because of our appearance or or our lack of appearance. But some in this room today and those who are watching online, some of you may even attempt to devalue yourself because of where you came from, your pedigree. Here's the truth. God knows who your mama is. God knows where you came from. He knows your mom. He knows your dad. I'm amazed at how good we are at responding to God's love with, yeah, but. Like we accept the fact that he loves us, but like I said earlier, we're just not sure that he likes us. Where he came from, how you were raised, and the people who raised you. Do not discount the worth or the value that you have. Whether you were conceived in or out of wedlock. Whether you were given away or kept. Whether you feel like you were loved or supported or rejected or discouraged or just not encouraged the way that you felt that you should be. None of that discounts the value that God has on you. It's not as if God has this shelf, this storefront of his very favorite people that he made in a particular way, and they have a high price tag on them, and then he would find you back in the discount uh, section on the the giveaway rack, the the two-for-one or something like that. That's not how God values you, and if that was the case, if that was the case, you know, right next to you would be people like, like Solomon, who did not come from the perfect, you know, uh, Bible Belt marriage, or Samuel, whose mother was discounted, or Jesus. You see, there is no discount rack for humanity. It's not like we are back there. Even the author of this text and the author of all of those texts, like, like 119 and Psalm 23 and Psalm 100 and Psalm 1, all of those is authored by a person whose grandmother would have been completely shunned by all of society. David. 
See, there's a very real possibility that God uses the parents you have to create the person you are today. He certainly did so to give you life, but then you learn some things to do and other things not to do, of course, and it is best to appreciate what you can and then understand that we are all formed by the purpose of the artist and the fire of reformation. So God, this creator, loving, beautiful God, close by, compassionate, artistically wove you together in your mom's womb. There is no argument. There is no rational argument, biblically or I believe otherwise, in which we do not understand that life begins in the womb. This is clear within Scripture. There's not even a question about it. Not only from this text, but also text that Jeremiah says, the account of Jesus leaping within the womb, that life is within the womb. From the very first spark of two things becoming one new thing, a new life has become begun. It is logical. It is scientific. It is faithful. It takes more faith and willful blindness to believe otherwise. Humanity does not begin at our breath or at our thought. It begins at conception. And though the time, and through the time, of a mother carrying that child, the value is present. What this means is that it is not your thoughts. It is not until you think something that you become valuable, that the value is before. So you can't, and that's freeing. That means that no matter what sort of negative or mean or destructive or self-loathing thoughts that you have about yourself, those don't define who you are. You can think the worst things about you, but the reality is you are what he says you are. You are valued in what he says your value is, not in what your own thoughts think. Your value is determined by God in creation. So is your being and who you are. You cannot think yourself into another gender or another race or another species. We are created perfectly and beautifully artistically designed by God. Male and female, skin color, height and ability, personality and disposition are all put together, formed, knit together by a purposeful and loving God that is near and wants what is best for you. So it's a weird message, really. Uh, it doesn't really flow into sort of the way that I normally do things, that I would want you to walk out of here knowing this, that you are deeply valued that you are deeply loved, that you have this intrinsic ability. But I want you to believe that for a number of reasons. First of all, I want you to know that because some of you feel as though you cannot be loved by God because you have done so many bad things. But remember the me in this text. He's fully aware of all of that and loves you even though that we would not space ourselves away from that guilt, that we would see what God loves us. See, listen, in my mind, I fully know all of the reasons why God should not love me, right? And I think you do as well. Even the things that you won't tell anybody, the things that you don't confess, the things that nobody else knows. You know that if it is true that God loves you, he loves you a great love. It is a vast gulf that God is bridging to love me. And so in that reality, I am worshipful to who God is. I'm also compassionate and forgiving to everybody else that I come in contact with. That I don't let my insecurities or my hatred or my 
untrust of other people define the way that I treat other people, I let this knowledge know. I let it be driven by the reality that we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. And so if God loves you, then I love you. Then I will treat you in that way. So one simple, very short line in the Psalms leads us to make a few stances and to think a few thoughts. The first one is we have to understand the source of our value. We have to see that we are personally priceless because we were created by God for a purpose, just the way that you were created. All people are created that way. And so you have value. And so to throw away one's life on some purpose other than God's purpose is supremely wasteful to the treasure that is beyond valuation, to not trust Jesus and then to choose hell over the creator God is to throw away the most valuable thing that you were ever given, your own soul. This also means that you are not more valuable than other people if you can pass a ball or make a lot of money or, be, or, or if you have a perfectly symmetrical face. We are all just as valuable before God. We are valuable and they are valuable. We have to move outside of ourselves and love others like we love ourselves. We have to see that all people have an innate value to them as well. That all human life is sanctified. That the way that we treat people, leaders and strangers, is tied to the way we believe that they are created by God and valued. Phrases like, let's go, Brandon, are as much a statement of your absolute defiance of God as it is your disagreement with the presidents, as is the other vulgar ways that people refer to the former presidents. We have to treat people with respect and dignity. Why? Because we believe that all people, regardless if we disagree with them, or if we distrust them, or if we are different than them, are valued and created by God. And that value, we will be expressed in the words that we say and don't say in the actions that we do. So we are valued, they are valued, and we collectively, we collectively will act on this. This is why our church preaches the gospel to all people. This is why we are convicted to be a church for the whole family. Because all of life is valuable and all people in all stages need to hear the gospel. This is why we actively support life choices here in Conway that comes alongside those who are expecting, who maybe don't have the resources, or are between um, two decisions, one that we would not want them to commit, and we would encourage them and strengthen them. This is why we are active in adoption and foster care ministries through the call in the Arkansas Baptist Family Ministries. It is crazy and absolute rubbish to try to accuse Christians of only caring about life in the womb. There is no other people group in all of the history of humanity that have done more for people of all stages of life than Christians have, and in particular, evangelicals and Catholics. Most people were born in a hospital that was founded and funded and started by Christians. We care deeply about all of human life, whether that is the unborn, the orphan, the immigrant, the elderly, everything in between. We care deeply about that. We also are very faithful in supporting the Conway Ministry Center that cares for people whom most see in our society as a nuisance or in the way. We also fully support works and efforts around the world that run into disasters and care for people, whether that's uh, the impending tsunami, whether that is fires or tornadoes. You know, we rush in and help people and we never once ask them which church they attend. 
We care for them and share the gospel for them. We do this as a church, as a second family. We do this by conviction because we fully believe that all humans have value. All life has value. And when you support these causes, when you give financially to the church, a portion of that goes to these things. I also want to encourage you to get involved physically with these projects and efforts. You can talk to Ryan or any of our ministers and find out other ways that you can live out this value that God artistically created all people. I read a story about a lady named Melissa Odin this week. Y'all ever heard of her? Melissa Odin? Melissa Odin was 14 when she learned that she had survived an abortion. A nurse heard her crying and discarded medical waste. And as crazy as that is, there was another attempt to discard her by her own biological grandmother. She is now a social worker and speaks for the pro-life movement. Insane and heartbreaking story. It really is. If you read all of the details, some of them, I, it's just not appropriate for me to share here right now. But it is insane and heartbreaking story. And when you hear the details, you can't help but feel shocked and horrified. The worst part for me was finding out that her biological grandmother forced the procedure on her daughter. She was a nurse. The grandmother was a nurse and used connections to have her granddaughter terminated. It's so sad. But don't get stuck at that portion of the story. As heartbreaking and as gripping as that part of the story is, there's another dominant part of the story. There's this amazing beauty in the creation that we call humanity. That that child, created in the image of God, has this innate fortitude that we are built to survive. And she did. And then there's a nurse that hears that and fights and does what she can do to save the child. And there are doctors and NICU units that are protecting and caring and running and helping that child. And then there's a whole adoptive family that raises that child and cares for that child and loves that child. And then there is this fully grown woman who stands up, who was thought to have been gone, probably would have been blind, and now you wouldn't know anything different by hearing her, listening to her, attractive, accomplished woman. That is humanity. That is the creation of God, and it is a beautiful story. In the darkness of that story, this bright light shines forth, and it sounds like this. You knit her together for a plan and for a purpose. So let's hear what Melissa says and what David says and what God says. All people including you, all ages, all backgrounds, all limitations and abilities are equally and artistically created by God for a beautiful purpose. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.